Our scripture lesson tonight is Leviticus 16. Hear now the word of the Lord from Leviticus chapter 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil, and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness." Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. 
and the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves, and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. This is the word of the Lord. I've spent actually a lot more time with unbelievers and post-Christians in the last couple of years than I have for a long time. And occasionally I hear complaints about Christian hypocrisy, but the biggest objection always comes back to God himself. How can a good God let all this stuff happen? And they, whatever the, the particulars they want to talk about today, all these awful things keep happening. And he doesn't seem to care. He doesn't seem to do anything about it. Well, this is what Leviticus 16 is all about. Leviticus 16 is all about God's answer to the problem of human sin and misery. I will bring you to myself. These post-Christians are trying to escape from God. They want to be good people who do good things but they keep finding themselves falling into their tiny little empires of one. And God's purpose in history is to bring people to himself. He is opening the way to draw humanity back. In fact, this is the big picture of what the five books of Moses are all about. Think about Genesis. Where does Genesis start? Genesis begins with creation, with God creating this, this sanctuary, this holy place where he can dwell with his people in the, in the garden in Eden. But humanity winds up sinning and getting expelled from that holy place. Where, where did the five books of Moses end? With Deuteronomy, with Israel coming into the promised land, preparing to enter the the place, this renewed place where God will dwell with his people. Well, how do we get there? Well, Exodus tells the story of how God brought Israel out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. Numbers tells the story of how God brought Israel from Mount Sinai to the promised land. And Leviticus takes place entirely at Mount Sinai. The book of Exodus ended with, with the glory of the Lord filling the most holy place. But the book of Exodus ends with a problem. No one can go in. Okay, great, God. You brought us to the holy place. You brought us to the place where your presence will dwell. 
But we can't get in there. So what was the point of all this, God? If you're going to dwell with us, but we can't dwell with you, how do we get actually get to dwell with God? And then, early in Leviticus, Nadab and Abihu tried. They burned incense before the Lord, and fire came out from the Lord and consumed them. So you could say Leviticus is all about how humanity can draw near to God without getting fried to a crisp. Really, that's the whole point of the book of Leviticus. I mean, the last five chapters, chapters 11 to 15, have been talking about how Israel must be ceremonially clean if they are to enter the worship of God. The lessons in purity that we've seen over the last several weeks where God told the priests to teach Israel to distinguish between holy and common, between clean and unclean. Because how do you come into the presence of God? One must be clean in order to become holy. It's a movement in the direction of holiness. Unclean is movement in the direction away from holiness, away out of the camp, into the wilderness, the place of death and destruction. As chapter 15 ended with verse 31, Thus, God tells the priests, You shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. God is holy. And so that which is unclean, that which is impure, may not enter his holy worship. We saw, you know, just, just, and actually, pretty much everything we've been seeing over the last few weeks sets us up for tonight. Chapter 11 dealt with clean and unclean animals. So what sort of animals can you bring as offerings, as sacrifices, if you're going to try to enter God's holy, if you're going to ascend the holy hill of the Lord? Chapter 12 dealt with purification after childbirth, showing the connection between the womb and the holy place. Chapters 13 and 14 dealt with leprous disease, how people, garments, and houses can be cleansed and prepared for holy habitation. And then chapter 15 dealt with all those bodily discharges, returning to the theme of the womb and the holy place. And all of this set up the connection between people, houses, sacrifices, reproduction. These themes will run all through both Old and New Testament. Actually, Paul summarizes Leviticus when he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her by the washing of water with the word. And we've been hearing all about washing with water for the last five weeks, over and over again in cleansing the unclean. That's what Paul's talking about with husbands loving their wives, with Christ loving the church, sanctifying her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, those spots that we heard about, about the skin diseases, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Cleansing from sin, absolutely. Also cleansing from misery. Sin and misery are not sort of two separate problems that can be dealt with in isolation from each other. Our uncleanness and our trespasses are both part of our problem. What Paul describes in Ephesians 5 is what the high priest did every year on the Day of Atonement. Now, this is why chapter 16 starts the way it does. 
the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. So in other words, we're, we're reminded this is where we are. We're still at Sinai and we are right after Nadab and Abihu have died because they offered fire before the Lord in an unauthorized way. If God is going to dwell in the midst of his people, then drawing near to God requires us to do what he says, not to follow our own devices. Leviticus 16 is now here at the very heart of the book of Leviticus. So I just, I, I just showed you how the whole Pentateuch is structured around Leviticus. Well, Leviticus is structured around chapter 16. Chapter 16 is the heart of Leviticus, and Leviticus is the heart of the Pentateuch. And so, yes, chapter 16 of Leviticus is the heart of the five books of Moses. Everything in the five books of Moses radiates out of this moment. By the way, uh, Hebrews will agree with this analysis. <laughs> Hebrews sees everything as coming back to this. Hebrews 9, 6 says, These preparations having been thus made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties, but into the second, into the most holy place. The high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, notice this is what Hebrews says Leviticus 16 is doing. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. So, the first section. What's the first section? That's, that's the, the holy place, the tent of meeting. What's the second section? The most holy place, the holy of holies. As long as the first section is standing, then, which is the way into the most holy place is not yet open, that means that what, what is the high priest doing once a year in Leviticus 16? He's entering the age to come. He's entering the sort of the future. He, he's, he's he's this is time travel. He's going forward to when to entering into the the holy of holies. He's entering into the very presence of God. But the problem is the way is not open yet. And yes, Tolkien fans are all thinking, the way is shut. It was made by those who are dead, and the dead keep it. And yes, very much, that's the right image. That's what Tolkien's going for with Aragorn at that moment, when the one man, the only man in all of history who could ever do this. Well, that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus is the one man who goes where no man could ever go before. Any man who went there before was going to die and stay dead. Only one man can pass the road to the dead and live. And no, it's not Aragorn, it's Jesus. Hebrews sees the Day of Atonement as the sign that the way into the heavenly Holy of Holies is shut. The fact that the high priest must perform this same ritual every year indicates that the age to come has not yet come. So long as the earthly holy place remains standing, it is a sign that the reality has not yet arrived. And just by the way, that's why the destruction of the temple in AD 70 is so important. Because when the temple is destroyed, the, the first section is knocked down. It's because the way into the heavenly holy of holies is now opened by Jesus. So therefore, we now get to come into, into the age to come. We now, this is now, the, the age to come has come in Jesus. So let's just see how Leviticus does this. How does Moses lay this out? 
first we must understand the reason why Aaron may only enter once a year. God says that he will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. God has said that he will dwell with his people. But the presence of God is a perilous thing. Aaron's already learned this the hard way. He lost two sons to the holiness of God. So now God warns the high priest not to enter the most holy place except for once a year. And he describes the detailed ritual to perform in order to be to avoid being consumed by the holiness of God. So there's there's basically four parts to the chapter. There's the preparation for the high priest. There are the offerings presented in the most holy place. And, you know, not surprisingly, the very center of the passage, the heart of the passage, is when the blood is presented at the mercy seat in verses 16 and following. And then there are the concluding rites back in, as the, at the, there's like sort of a chiastic structure. <laughs> Anybody surprised? Uh, as the, sort of at the end, he, was, he washes with water at the beginning, he washes with water at the end. There's, it's, it's, there's all structured together. And then there are final statutes regulating the Day of Atonement for the people. Verses 3 to 5 lay out the preparations. Aaron must bring a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And he must bathe his body in water and put on the, the holy linen coat and the linen undergarment, the linen turban. Put on the, the priest's garments, the high priest's vestments. And in order to prepare for entry, he must bathe his body in water. A point that Hebrews 10 will echo when it says that our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed with pure water. Our baptism is our priestly anointing as we prepare for entry into the most holy place. He has said, he has the bull, off, the bull for the sin offering for himself and the ram for the burnt offering for himself, the ascension offering. But for the people, he must take two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And now he's, got, he's all prepared and now he's ready to go in. Now, verses 6 through 10 explain the preliminary actions because the priest must make atonement for himself before he is able to atone for others. So he offers the bull as a sin offering for himself and for his, his, the whole priesthood. And then he takes the two goats for the people's sin offering and he sets them before the Lord at the tent of meeting. And he, has, he casts lots over them, one for Yahweh and the other for Azazel. And probably when you heard that, you're like, who's Azazel? What's going on here? Okay, we'll come back to that. Um, at this point, we're not told what, it's just, okay, that's going to be something. And then verse 11 starts the working through the, the various offerings one by one. He, he kills the bull and he takes a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense. Uh, the incense is designed to keep a, a cloud over the mercy seat uh, to protect Aaron from the glory of the Lord. The incense symbolizes the prayers of the saints, which are there to protect the high priest. Think of how the people would gather to pray when Zechariah offers incense in Luke 1. The people's prayers are, are, are ascending before the Lord as the priest comes in to burn incense. Then he would take the blood of the bull and, and sprinkle it seven times on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And it's, if you, if you recall, that in, in the garden, the, the, it was, the garden was in the east in Eden, and the, the, the direction of things is actually important in the way the, the, the tabernacle and then later the temple will be set up. And now that his own sin is atoned for, he kills the goat of the sin offering for the people and sprinkles its blood in the same way that he did with the bull. And 
as I said earlier, verses 16 and following, this is the heart of the passage. It's the center of the chapter, which is the center of Leviticus, which is the center of the Pentateuch. So listen carefully to what Moses says. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. If, if sin is missing the mark, the uncleanness and the transgressions, it's talking about sin and misery. It's talking about this whole problem that afflicts humanity. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out. The high priest goes in by himself. Nobody else, everybody else stays back. Again, what Hebrews comments on this, that the way into the age to come, the way into the, the, the holy place is shut. Only the high priest, everybody else stays back. Now, why does God say that the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar need to be atoned for? It was all consecrated when it was established. Why does it need to be atoned for? It says because of the uncleannesses of the people and because of their sins. Because the holy place is where God dwells with his people. The place where earth and heaven meet. If humanity is going to ascend the hill of the Lord, if there is to be a new and living way for humanity to enter the presence of God, then sin and uncleanness must be dealt with. Because, again, remember Hebrews 9, the fact that only the high priest can enter once a year means that only the high priest enters the new creation and he can only stay for a few minutes. Now, that to us sounds, wow, that's not very good. Now, to Israel, this is amazing. The high priest gets to enter the new creation. The way has been shut ever since the cherubim guarded the entrance to the, to the garden. The cherubim don't let anybody in. That's why they're a cherubim on the curtains of the, of, the, of, of the tabernacle. But the cherubim won't let anybody in. But the high priest gets to go once a year. Once a year, there's a reminder that God is opening a way. He's preparing a way. He wants his people to dwell with him. The way will be opened. And we're reminded of that once a year on the Day of Atonement. Because... For them, we have been so far away from God for so long. Now there is one man who gets to spend a few minutes in glory. Thanks be to God. Because if there is one man, then there will be more. Does that sound like something else you've heard? That's how Paul talks about Jesus. Because Jesus is not just... Uh, sort of one man who spends a few minutes. No, Jesus has been risen, he's raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of God. He has entered the heavenly holy of holies. And if Jesus has entered the holy of holies, then you who are in Christ also ascend with him and are brought with him. So that Paul will even say, if then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Because you have, you are no longer who you once were. You once were alienated, strangers, distant. But now, you have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That is now who you are in Him. The new creation has dawned. And if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. But what happens to our sin? Well, for that we need to look at the other goat. 
verses 20 to 22 tell us of the, the scapegoat who must be sent to Azazel. By the way, this is where the term scapegoat comes from. Because the scapegoat, this is, this is the goat. One, you know, there are these two goats for the sin offering, only one of which gets sacrificed. The other one gets to live. Which one, which one is better off? It's actually the one that dies. <laughs> because who, okay, what, who or what is Azazel? Uh, there's, a, there's volumes that have been written guessing the answer to this. Um, now, the simple way of putting it is whether you go with the name of a demon or whether you go with the idea of, of being cut off and destroy, destroyed, whichever way you go, however you take it, the point is really clear that this goat is being sent outside of the covenant community out into the wilderness, out into the world of death, into the realm of the devil. I mean, this, I mean so this, this, so it's all, you know, all, it's, it's all of the above because this is saying, take the sin of the people and send it as far as the east is from the west. Because what is the purpose of the sin offering? The sin offering is designed to remove the unintentional sins of the people. Willful sins are not included. Willful sins are dealt with either by cutting off the person from the covenant community. Uh, and uh, so think about the law of the sin offering. If the sin offering is brought for the priest or for the whole congregation, the carcass of the sin offering is burnt outside the camp. But if the sin offering is brought for an individual, then the priest eats the meat. Obviously, this sin offering is for the whole people. Therefore, it is burned outside the camp. But there's another aspect to this sin offering, uh, that this sending off of the live goat. The goat bears the iniquities of the people out of the camp to a remote area. And because of this, uh, the goat is basically banished from the community. In place of us being cut off and banished from the community, the goat is banished in our place. Why wasn't the first goat enough? Why not just kill the, kill the goat and be done with it? Why do you need this second goat? Well, every morning and every evening, the priest offers burnt offerings to the Lord. Every day, the priests offer various sin offerings and guilt offerings for individuals, priests, the whole community as needed. And now, once a year, there is a special sin offering to cover the whole year. But the death of these thousands of animals? Not enough. Can't do it. The sin offering on the Day of Atonement is designed to cleanse the tabernacle so that it will not be defiled by the uncleanness and the sins of the people. The sin of the people is transferred to the goat and removed from the camp as the goat is driven out into the wilderness to Azazel. So also the sins of the people are removed to the wilderness. Indeed, the next chapter, Leviticus 17, verse 7 says, So they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore, which may suggest something of the Azazel connection. The scapegoat reminds us there is no animal sufficient to pay for our sins. When Psalm 103 says that God separates our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, well, think about it. At the fall, Adam and Eve were expelled to the east. When the high priest enters the most holy place, what direction is he going? West. He's going back 
restoring, restored to communion with God, restored to fellowship with God. The east here is represented by the wilderness, that place outside the camp, the place of danger and death. Well, having completed the ritual in the holy place, Aaron is to take off these holy garments and bathe with water in a holy place and then put on his ordinary garments and finish the burnt offerings with the, the whole burnt offerings and the fat of the sin offerings. Why does he have to wash with water after? It makes sense, oh, he has to wash with water before, when he, going in. But why does he have to wash with water after? Well, it doesn't say that he becomes unclean. So that's, that's it's not, it's not that, after all, there, there are no waste products and his going in to the holy place. But it's, it's the same lesson we learned last week. When a husband goes into his wife, they both need to wash and then they are unclean until evening. The high priest does not become unclean because there are no waste products when he goes into the holy place. Everything he brings has a purpose. But he does not have to, but he, but he has to wash not to get the unclean off, far from it. It's rather the very opposite. It is because he has been in the holy presence of God himself. He is now going to return to ordinary life. And holiness is contagious. Now, you might think, why wouldn't you want the holiness of God to be taken back to everybody else? Well, that's the problem. Everybody else. If the holiness of God should come in contact with the unclean, it would destroy the unclean. And so before the high priest leaves off his holy duties, he must wash so as to leave the holy in the holy so that now he can go back to ordinary, the common clean, but common activities. And you'll also notice that those who burn the, the, the carcasses of the sin offerings and as well as the one who takes the goat to Azazel, they are also not said to become unclean due to this, but because of their participation in this ritual, they too have contracted holiness, as it were, and must wash before they re-engage in their ordinary duties because this is... When you've come in contact with the holy, this is, an, you know, it's, it's, it's why Isaiah will respond the way he did in the passage that Mark used this morning. Because when he sees the holy God before him, he says, woe is me, I am unclean. I'm people, I have, have unclean lips, and I have people of unclean lips. Indeed, this is the way that verses 29 to 34 conclude the chapter point out that all Israelites should take this day seriously. It's set as the, the tenth day of the seventh month, and all Israelites are to humble themselves on that day. It's to be a Sabbath. No one was to work, not even the stranger among you. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. The idea of afflicting yourselves has to do with fasting, and that's uh, a, was a comment. This was the one fast day in the in the year for for Israel. And the, the seventh month was a busy month in the liturgical calendar of Israel, as we'll hear in chapter 23, because the first day of the month is the Feast of Trumpets, a day of solemn rest. The tenth day is the Day of Atonement. And then from the 15th to the 23rd is the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. And as, as Israel gathers on the tenth, uh, this wouldn't be necessarily everybody gathering in Jerusalem. This, rather, people would gather in their own towns 
to in order to fast and pray because everybody knew this is the one day when we are reminded of the new creation the one day when we are reminded of what is to come it's why it's a fast day it's not a feast day it's a fast day and this is partly where hebrews gets the idea of this is why it's a reminder that the way is shut and so you fast because you long for the day when we will be able to go into the holy of holies because right now it's just the high priest and so we fast and we pray and we long for the day when god will open the way and this is the point that Hebrews makes as actually if you go further into Hebrews 9 in verse 11 Hebrews says but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands that is not of this creation he entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Jesus has not entered merely into an earthly tent. He has entered the heavenlies with his own blood as the final sacrifice. And therefore, Hebrews says, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Why, why did the old covenant require all these sacrifices? Well, as Hebrews says in 9.23, thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, with Christ. But the, the, uh, the copies of the heavenly things being the earthly things, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. The monotonous character of the Old Testament offerings was pointing to its own futility. The Old Testament sanctuary was simply a copy of the heavenly. The Old Testament priests were pictures of Christ, the heavenly priest. And Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Because we now have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. You might have expected Hebrews to say that we are justified through the offering of Jesus, but we are. it's... Remember what all these sacrifices were designed to do. They, they were designed to deal with sin, but why? So that the people of God might be sanctified, set apart for the service of God. And by that one offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Every Sunday, we celebrate the new Day of Atonement. When we come to the worship of God... Yes, we confess our sins, but unlike Israel of old, we don't have to wait for a new sacrifice to cleanse us. We confess our sins with full confidence in that sacrifice which has cleansed us, which has made us holy in his sight. Now, this is where the warning of Hebrews is also important, because verse 26, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. 
If we return to our willful rebellion, well, there's no sacrifice for that. If you reject the sacrifice of Jesus, there's no other sacrifice. Intentional sin, deliberate sin, stems from a fundamental rejection of the gospel. It's talking about the one, as Hebrews 10 goes on, one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace. The one who clings to Christ and turns from sin. That's what Hebrews ah, that, that's what Hebrews hopes for from for us. But the one who prefers idols to Christ, the one who refuses to repent and believe. I mean, this is why Hebrews concludes the section by saying, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We have need of endurance. The endurance to live faithfully day by day, to walk humbly before our God, to believe the promises of God in the midst of trial and temptation, in the midst of the struggles and the challenges of life. So, beloved, remember that you have a great high priest who has gone before you and opened the way into the Holy of Holies, that you might come with him into the very presence of our God. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, have mercy on us. Have mercy and help us because we are weak and we are frail and we forget too easily your great mercy. So, Lord, have mercy on us and help us to believe your promises and to draw near to you through Jesus Christ, your Son. Help us to draw near to you in him. Help us to believe that you will continue what you have begun in us, that you might be brought to completion in the day of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us, O Lord, and, and renew us by your Holy Spirit and help us as we walk before you, that in our, our daily lives, as we walk before you in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, help us to believe what you have said and to live as you have called us that we might draw near to you, trusting that you will draw near to us, that you, will, that you will continue what you have begun. Lord, have mercy on those who are afflicted and struggling. Have mercy on those who struggle with, with temptation and, and, and help those who are afflicted by, by distress and anxiety and help those who, are, who, who seek to, to, to know your will, that we might do it, that we might love you and love one another as you have called us. Have mercy on us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.